0: Sorry about that. I always put my tablet in airplane mode so that I don't wind up getting any kind of phone calls or text messages while we're uh, while I'm uh, preaching. And this morning, because of the uh, need to do all the music stuff, I didn't get a chance to do that first. So uh, apologies for that uh, for that slight delay. This morning's uh, message is going to come to us from James chapter five, verses thirteen to twenty. And I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we read our text. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever returns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let us pray. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Articulate your heart through my voice to your people. Let the transformation of our lives be wrought thoroughly by the Holy Spirit in response to your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I have done every week while we have gone through the one-anothering series, I'm going to remind you of our vision of one-anothering. And that is that if we want to be like Jesus, We have to do life the way Jesus did. We talk about that in terms of community and how it is that as we love one another and do for one another, as we walk alongside one another, that that is, in fact, being like Jesus in many ways. So we will explore how we can give whatever it is we are learning about today. Today, that's prayer and how we can receive whatever it is we are learning about, and how Jesus was our example. Last week, we talked about valuing one another, and the idea that our value is not found in who we are or what we have done, but in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And because of that, we can value others above ourselves. The week before that, we talked about loving one another, Three weeks ago, we talked about discipling one another. Four weeks ago, we talked about caring for one another. And the very first week, we talked about encouraging one another. And I tell you all of these things every week so that you remember that there's more to one anothering than just one practice. It's actually an all-encompassing kind of activity that becomes something that is just a part of who we are the longer we live in Christ. And you'll see that today, especially as we talk about praying for one another, that it's really important where we start that activity. You see, James specifically calls us out and says that if you pray, you can be powerfully and effectively impacting someone else's life. But he makes a very specific characterization about the person who has a powerful and effective prayer. He says that that is a righteous person. So we're going to talk a little bit about how it is that You can be the person that James is talking about and then have your prayers be powerful and effective and how that then connects to praying for one another. I say all of that because I was thinking about the idea, how many of you are on Facebook or have seen Facebook or know what Facebook is, right? And maybe you've seen somebody who's posted, oh, I lost my puppy. And all their friends come out and they, they say, oh, my prayers and thoughts are with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Or um, I, more seriously, my cousin is sick or this happened or that happened. And they say, oh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Usually, because it's Facebook or any other social media, really, it's just a casual response that only means, "Ooh, I thought about that for a second. I really do care about you. I, I think you're important. So let me say what everybody else says, because it sort of makes sense, right? I want you to know that... I appreciate you. I care about you. I want you to know that I'm there for you. Virtually anyway. Right? But how often, and I say this to myself as well, when you type that, or even if you write a card out to someone and you put that in, or if you see somebody and, and they say, oh, I'm going through this or that or the other thing, how many times do you really... Invest enough time to actually, A, think about the other person and what they're actually going through, and, or B, really carry them to God in prayer. As I thought about that, I was like, oh. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying it. There's nothing wrong with using that as a placeholder for your concern for that person. So don't think that I'm not going to type, oh, you're in my thoughts and prayers, or that I'm not going to say those things. But I thought it was really something that we could spend some time thinking about a little more deeply. Because what does it mean when you say that? Well, I think actually James tells us that that's exactly what we should say and what we should do when someone is in a predicament. He says, put them in your thoughts and prayers. Because he says, if anybody is, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. Well, you can't be healed or you can't pray for someone if you're not actually thinking about them, right? You can't pray for someone that you're not actually spending time thinking about that person. First of all, because you won't think of them to pray for. Right? So, so... James says, well, if you do that, if you do that, and you're a righteous person, your prayers will be powerful and effective. That's great news. When I pray for someone, I want what I'm praying for to be true for them, to come to fruition. Well, let me tell you, there are a couple of things about being righteous that we have to understand, because that's actually the undergirder of how it is that prayer works. You see, when you're praying, you're not just saying words into the atmosphere. You are actually entering into a place that before Jesus, only the high priest could go into. You are entering a space known to the Jewish people as the Holy of Holies. And it is a space that has the representation of God's throne in it for the Jewish people as part of the temple. It was a space that you and I could not have entered. In fact, we couldn't have gotten very close to it at all. But it was meant to be a representation of the place where you took your thoughts and prayers for someone. It was meant to be a representation of a place that is the very throne of God. Now, God has said that the only people who can come to his throne are those who are holy, who are righteous. That's why James says you have to be a righteous person to make your prayers powerful and effective, because if you are not a righteous person, your thoughts and prayers are just thoughts and words that go out into the ether. So you might be saying to yourself, well, who's a righteous person? What does that mean exactly? Well, great news, it doesn't take much to be a righteous person. In fact, the Bible says, there's only two real things that you have to do in order to be a righteous person who can pray and have your prayers be powerful and effective. One of those things is repent. You have to turn from your sins. And the other part of that is that you have to ask God for forgiveness and hence become a follower of Christ. It's a pretty simple process. True repentance means really being sorry for what you've done. It means, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to... Be disobedient to the God who made me. And then following Christ means you start to become more like Christ. That's really what it looks like. So righteousness isn't like this hard thing you have to do. It's not reserved for the person who stands behind the pulpit every Sunday. I promise you. There are a lot of righteous people. In October, we held a funeral for someone who many described as a righteous person. But each and every one of you, if you believe in Jesus, if you have turned your life to following Jesus, you are righteous people. it's okay to smile at that. You actually have the ability to have powerful and effective prayer because you are Jesus' followers. That's pretty amazing. You can actually put yourself in the throne room of God. You can say to God, hey, I've got this thing happening can you help me? And God doesn't require specific words. He doesn't require these and thous and all old archaic language. I, I read a, uh, a story once. It was, it was kind of funny. This guy was talking about how uh, sometimes our prayers are really weird. If you think about it, if you're having a conversation with someone, you don't say to them well John I just want you to know how much I really appreciate you and and John I I just want you to know how much um I really need you to do this thing for me and and John uh John Martin you are you are an amazing amazing person and John Martin I'm gonna tell you I really need you to uh I really need you to do this thing. I really need you to be a part of this thing. Oh, John, come and be with us. What? You don't talk to people that way? I mean, Jim, do you get up in the morning and say, Amber, I love you so much. Amber, you are the most amazing person in my life. Amber, if you would just wash the dishes for me, Amber, I would... Amber, you are amazing. No, right? (laughs) But how many times do we say, God, you are the most awesome God, and God, I am so in love with you, and God, and Father God, and God, and we say it like, if we say his name enough times, then that's actually what makes it a powerful and effective prayer the real thing that makes a prayer powerful and effective is our ability to pray it in the first place. And you see, the second part of what a righteous person prays for is the, is the part that's categorized by what he talks about when he talks about Elijah. Because you see, Elijah was a person who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says here that he was a human being just like we are. Okay, well, good news. God wasn't creating, like, aliens somewhere else. He was just a guy who lived in the past. And when he prayed for there to be no rain, there wasn't rain. And James says he's just like us. What? Are you saying that I, if I pray that there won't be any snow this year... that that God will answer that prayer? Well, no, because the reason I'm praying for there not to be any snow is for selfish reasons. I don't want to drive in it. I don't want to shovel it. I don't want to be cold. And God would just say to me, Jennifer, just move to California or Florida. I've already done it there. But the reality is, is that when we pray selfish prayers those aren't coming from the heart of a righteous person. So it's important that our prayers are already going in the same direction God is. You see, when Elijah prayed for there not to be rain, he was praying in the direction God was going. His whole country was living under an incredible amount of persecution by the people who were supposed to be protecting them. The king and his wife, you may have heard of them, Ahab and Jezebel. They were pretty gnarly people. (laughs) They were about um, killing off all of God's prophets. They had set out to do that very intentionally and specifically. Ahab at one point um, killed a guy because he wanted his vineyard. Well, his wife did it, but he was held responsible for it because he sort of knew she was going to do something. And Elijah said, "Um, this is not how God wants the king of the country he set aside to behave. And so he prayed for no rain because he was praying for change. And God honored that prayer because that was already a direction God wanted it to go in. So when we pray for one another, it's important that we pray in the same direction God's already going. And there are prayers that we specifically know God wants to answer. We can pray for people to be healed and we pray those prayers understanding that sometimes healing comes in, a, in different ways than we understand it. Sometimes healing comes in the way it did for Mary Coulter. Sometimes healing comes in medicine that the doctor administers and for the doctor to have the wisdom to know exactly what medicine to give. And sometimes healing comes in a miraculous experience That changes the body. All of those things can happen, but if I'm praying for healing, I'm praying for God to work the way that God is going to work. When my husband first started getting sick and having issues with his um, feet, I was not a Christian. And in fact, the very first time that he got really, really sick and he was in the hospital because he had sepsis, I adamantly said, I am not going to pray because, God, you are not going to trick me into believing in Jesus over this nonsense. That's how crazy and convoluted my brain was. I had it in my mind that God was making my husband sick in an effort to trick me into becoming a Christian. Let me tell you, even if I had prayed, those would not have been the prayers of a righteous person. And certainly, God was just sitting back going, man, the pride in this one. <laughs> right? Because that's all that was. That was pride. That was like, You care about me so much, God. You're making other people sick. And God's like, no, that's not how I operate. It wasn't until my husband recovered and different things happened in my life that I began to realize that that was just the most ridiculous thing ever. But God eventually did work in my life to change my heart to make it so that I did want to follow Jesus. That's why I'm here today, by the way. I actually do follow Jesus. (laughs) Because I got to tell you, if I wasn't following him, I don't think my path would have come here. That I would have been in this place. But following Jesus meant walking in a direction that seemed totally counter to everything that I had ever done. And I say all of that to say that when you are praying from a righteous perspective, things may happen that don't seem to fit with what you prayed, but they actually are the answer to the prayer that you prayed. You see, powerful and effective prayers don't have to result in the thing that you're praying for. They have to result in the result God is looking for. I think one of the helpful ways to think about praying for one another is to think about how Jesus prayed. And Jesus spent probably three quarters of his time in adult ministry in prayer. If you look at everything Jesus did over the course of his ministry it started from a place of prayer his entire ministry began with him going and spending 40 days in a wilderness fasting and praying and every time he did something before he selected disciples he went and prayed before he was captured by the Pharisees, he spent time praying. Before he healed people, he spent time praying. See, he spent time in relationship with God so that he would know what the mind of God was. The more you do that, the more you know how to pray to be in line with what God wants. And So, even on the cross... Jesus prayed. Did you know that on the cross, Jesus prayed probably the most powerful prayer of forgiveness ever prayed? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was forgiving. They didn't ask him. They didn't say, oh, Jesus, man, we're so sorry we put you up there. We're really, we're really sorry that we're killing you today. They didn't apologize to him. In fact, they had no idea that he had this relationship with God at all. That, that wasn't even on their, like, that wasn't even remotely in their minds. And yet Jesus said, I forgive them. Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. God, forgive them. Jesus taught us praying for others is important. Praying for our own spiritual growth is important. Praying for the will of the Father in all situations is important. And so as we pray for one another, we pray in that same place. We pray from that same perspective. Righteous prayers are prayers for the other. Righteous prayers come from a heart that wants what God wants. Righteous prayers start with someone who loves God. Jesus, who is turned away from their sin and who wants to follow Jesus. As we get ready to go to communion this morning, as we have done every sermon in this series, I want you to be thinking about the fact that taking communion is an act of prayer. We actually have a significant liturgy that talks about all of the pieces that make up the communion table, but one of the most important parts of it is the recognition that we are praying for God to take these elements and by them transform us into the very body of Christ to the rest of the world. And so as we come forward to take communion today, to receive communion today, our act is an act of prayer for the other. Because even as we're asking God to transform us, we're asking God to transform us for the sake of other people. So we will receive communion this morning. I'm not going to have a microphone as I do this morning, but I think you all can probably hear me. I don't speak too quietly, I don't think. The communion liturgy is listed on the back of your bulletin. And in a few moments I'll ask you to stand, but at the beginning of our liturgy. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death, and resurrection. And the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until His return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ at this table we come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one in the Spirit. In unity with the Church, we confess our faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so we pray together. Holy God, we come before you in humility. For we do not live as we ought. We do not love you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We do not love our neighbor as ourselves. So we pray in all humility that you will change our hearts and minds, that you will show us again how to love others the way you love us, that you will put power and courage in our hearts to do your will. We gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, Proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the forever. Amen. I'm going to consecrate the elements of this time to so my helpers would come. the body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. As you stand this morning and come forward, remember we come with cupped hands, because we do not take the elements, we receive communion. It is a gift. So I would ask you to come forward, please. ever-living God, we thank you that you graciously feed us. We who have duly received these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ are thankful. By this you assure us of your favor and goodness towards us. We are incorporated into the mystical body of your Son, the blessed company of all faithful people. We are heirs through hope of your everlasting kingdom, by the merits of Christ's precious death and passion. Assist us with your grace, Heavenly Father, that we may continue in that holy fellowship and walk in goodness the way you have prepared for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, we all honor and glory, now and forever. Please open your hands and your hearts to receive the benediction. May the presence of Christ that you have known today be with you through the rest of the week. May you always recognize the abundance of God's grace, love and mercy in your life, and thankfully and joyfully spend it on those around you who need it most. May you never forget that you are loved, and because he loved you, you can love those around you. You have been to church. Now, go be the church. Amen. You are dismissed.